0: We'll be reading from 1 Peter, um, verse 13, up until um, 1 Peter 2, uh, to verse 3. I'll be reading from the NIV. And let us just bow our heads um, to, to prepare our hearts for the word of God. Dear only Father, we want to thank you so much for this new day you've created for us. And Lord, uh, on this new day, we just pray, Lord, that you... Uh, that you soften our hearts, that you open our ears, our minds, and our hearts again, Father, so that we could uh, read your word and, Father, uh, hear and see what, what it is that you want to communicate to our hearts this morning. In this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given, uh, to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on the Father who judges, each man's work impartially. Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it is that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect he was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in the last times for your sake through him you believed in God Who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have been pure now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass and all All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, of all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. To the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray
1: and turn our hearts and minds uh, toward the word of God again. Uh, Would you pray with me? Uh, Father in heaven, uh, we know that we are not gathered in this building by accident this morning, uh, but this is by your design. And our prayer this morning is that you would be exalted and glorified and magnified and lifted high. As we open your word again, and may you in turn benefit us, bless us, encourage our hearts. Uh, Help us this morning in this passage of Peter to take wings and fly to see the forest above the trees that we are mired in, in this earth. Help us to see your good and gracious plan that is so magnificent and broad and merciful We pray in Jesus' name for your help now, both for me as I preach and decrease, that you would increase, and also, Father, for the hearers, everyone here, that we would hear well what you are saying to your church. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The first time I took the metro to get to the church, um, admittedly, I was a little confused as to where I was when I emerged like a mole from the earth up to Queen Mary. I had to get my bearings as I stood there on the street the first time. Um, So I looked down, way down the street, and I could see a sign for the 15. And then I had my bearings. I knew which direction I had to turn uh, to walk to the church. The sign gave me my bearings. Well, friends, the next section of 1 Peter begins with Peter giving us our bearings, as it were. And I want to dive right into the text today. If you have your Bible, we're starting at 1 Peter 1.13, uh, that Jonathan read for us earlier. And it's in this verse, 1 Peter one thirteen, that Peter locates us, or gives us our bearings with the language that he uses here. Watch what happens. Peter begins with the word, Therefore, And when we see the word therefore in the biblical text, we must always ask the question, what's the therefore? Therefore, he says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Now, the word therefore points backward, doesn't it, to what Peter has just said. Peter has just described in the text, he's described the church as God's chosen strangers. We looked at that last week and the week before. He's just talked about the new birth that is given by God. He's just touched on the idea of the Christian's inheritance. We talked about that last week. He's also talked about the future salvation of believers. Therefore, in light of all of those glorious elements of our identity in Jesus Christ, therefore, Snowden Baptist Church, prepare your minds for action. Now that phrase, prepare your minds for action, is where Peter locates us purposefully in a certain narrative and gives us our bearings. What am I talking about? Well, in fact, the NIV translation, prepare your minds for action, is not as literal a translation as, say, the King James translation, which says, gird up the loins of your mind. The King James rendering of the Greek is actually a little more of a literal transfer from the original Greek. Gird up the loins of your mind. Peter chose that language specifically under the inspiration of the Spirit of God in order to locate his readers, to locate us, in a particular part of salvation history. And to see what Peter's doing here, let's go to the Old Testament, to Exodus 12. Exodus 12 is a crucial chapter... In the book of Exodus, it reports the story of the initial Passover uh, that happened just before Israel's departure from their bondage in Egypt. In fact, Passover happened prior to the Red Sea deliverance, which happens in Exodus 14. Passover was that pivotal moment in Egypt when the angel of death came and struck the firstborn of Egypt, but spared, if you remember the story, spared or passed over the Hebrew people who had applied the blood of the lamb to their door frames. God gave lengthy instructions in Exodus chapter 12 concerning the Passover and how it was to be carried out. I want us to notice Exodus 12:11. And again, I'm going to read uh, the King James Version of the verse so we can see the connection to 1 Peter 1.13. Exodus 12.11 reads uh, in the King James Version, And thus shall ye eat it, namely, thus shall ye eat the Passover feast, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, And ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. The people of Israel were to eat that first Passover in Egypt with their loins girded. What does that mean exactly? Well, it meant that the long ankle length tunics or robes that the Hebrew people wore needed to be tied or fastened with a belt at the waist as they ate the passover feast even as they were eating they were to have that their loins girded fastened about at the waist because that is what you did when you were preparing for action when you were preparing either to journey some distance or to engage in warfare the loins needed to be girded in other words the tunic needed to be fastened with a belt before setting out on a journey and Israel, at this moment in her history, was about to journey from Egypt toward the promised land via the mighty redemption that God would provide shortly at the Red Sea. Peter, in 1 Peter 1.13, purposely borrows this imagery from Exodus 12.11. Gird up the loins of your mind. What's he doing here? He's locating us in the Exodus narrative. He's saying, church, like Israel, you have been called out of slavery. Not slavery to Pharaoh, but slavery to sin, death, and the devil. You've been called out of slavery, and you must be prepared, ready for your journey. You are on your journey through this world to the promised land of God's eternal rest. Amen. And this is why Jesus in Luke 12 35 said to his disciples, and again, we're looking at the King James Version, he said. Let your loins be girded about. That is, disciples of Jesus, be ready. Be prepared. There is some vigor, some effort involved in our Christian journey through this world. And we notice in verse 13, getting back to 1 Peter chapter 1, that Peter links the word mind with the girding up of the loins. Gird up the loins of your mind. Now mind in the world of Peter was the seat of understanding where thoughts happen and where resolve appears. And where plans are made. Where judgment takes place. Our minds are to be ready for action. Renewed in Christ Christ feeding off his word, with our hearts beating, with a sort of trembling alertness, ready to obey him. Peter continues by saying, be self-controlled, or in some other English versions, be sober-minded. You know, many people in our world are mentally intoxicated. Thomas Schreiner puts it like this. He says, there is a way of living that becomes dull to the reality of God, that is anesthetized by the attractions of this world. He says, when people are lulled into such drowsiness, they lose sight of Christ's future revelation of himself and concentrate only on fulfilling their earthly desires. Mental intoxication. Now Peter says here, be sober-minded. And then Peter goes on. Now listen to the language here. Peter goes on, set your hope. Okay. Again, set your future expectations. How much? Fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now note this well, friends. Set your hope fully on the future grace that comes in the last day. Fix the gaze of your entire being on that time that is coming when King Jesus will appear. Do you believe it? He's coming. Peter has located us in Exodus 12, right before the final release from Egypt. The people were to prepare for the journey to the promised land with their loins girded. The church is to be ready on the journey, looking forward and setting our own hope fully on our promised land that time when Jesus comes and history wraps up and we live in an eternity of grace and love and blessedness. Verse 14. As obedient children. Now notice the family language here. Children. Most children have a parent or parents. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now, friends, we're still located in the Exodus story. Once Israel had observed that first Passover and then come out of Egypt, they traveled through the wilderness until they finally arrived at Mount Sinai. And then they stayed there at Mount Sinai for 11 months. Beginning at at Exodus 19, right through the rest of Exodus, all the way through Leviticus, up to Numbers 10 and verse 10, is the record of Sinai, 11 months in Israel's history. I want us to notice three verses of the Sinai story, specifically Leviticus 18, verses 2 through 4, where Yahweh tells Israel that they must, listen, they must, live differently than the nations that surrounded them. Yahweh said to Israel in Leviticus 18, I am Yahweh your God. I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, To which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules. And keep my statutes. And walk in them. I am Yahweh your God. The upshot folks is. Pagan religion. In Egypt and in Canaan. Was bankrupt was empty, and Israel was to be different. They were to walk in the statutes of Yahweh. And why, ultimately? Because Yahweh, listen, was making Israel a showcase to the rest of the nations, a showcase that would display who he was and what he required of human beings. Israel was to be a showcase of God's ways and God's glory to the rest of the nations. Israel was to attract the nations to the ways of Yahweh and the person of Yahweh by obeying and living out Yahweh's rules and statutes. Peter has located us in the story of Israel leaving Egypt. He says in verse 14, You church, that's us, You must be like Israel was supposed to be. Do not conform to the evil desires you had prior to the time when Christ redeemed you. Now, many of Peter's readers who were reading this letter originally were Gentiles who had lived in the clutches of the pagan religions before they came to Jesus Christ. And many of those pagan religions promoted sexual immorality, for example, promoted the regular indulgence of sexual desires outside the bonds of marriage. Peter says here, you must now look different because Christ has invaded your life. He says, just as he who Called you Now, when God calls, it is a powerful, effective call that brings a person from darkness to light. We have to understand that here. Just as he who called you in that efficacious, powerful way, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in how much of what you do? In all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Now Peter has located us in the Exodus narrative. The book of Leviticus, which is part of the Sinai narrative, they're still at the mountain. The book of Leviticus is brimming with calls to the people of Israel to be holy. Leviticus 11.44, I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. (laughs) For the sake of my mission to the world, God says, be holy. Because I am holy. Leviticus nineteen two. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, Yahweh, your God, am holy. Leviticus twenty, verses seven and eight. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Leviticus twenty twenty six. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. Peter has located us, hasn't he? He's located the church in the story of Israel. The church, according to 1 Peter 15 and 16, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, is to be holy to Just as Israel, God's missionary people, were called to be holy. The call for Israel to be holy was given when, on their journey to the promised land, the call to the church to be holy is given today on our journey through this world to our promised rest. We are called to distinctiveness, church to tangible, noticeable devotion to Jesus Christ so that the world might notice that God is good and great. How many of you know this morning that the church is God's missionary strategy? Now let's just take a moment to talk about some of the contours of this call in 1 Peter 1 16, to be holy. First of all, we need to understand that every single Christian is called to be holy. Everybody. This is not just for pastors or for leaders in the church, missionaries. This call to holiness applies to every. Christian. It applies to you if you are in Christ. Second, holiness has to do with being devoted to something. God is holy. That means that God is devoted utterly to remaining completely and totally separate from and opposed to all that is sinful. For God to be holy means that he is fully and completely and totally dedicated to his own righteousness and truth and goodness and purity and glory. Holiness means at least that. Israel was called to be holy in Leviticus and the church, the new Israel, is called to be holy in 1 Peter. The church is called to be... Devoted to something. Devoted to what? Devoted to separation from and opposition to all that is sinful and evil in God's eyes. The church is called to be devoted to imitating God, Ephesians 5.1. Imitating him in his dedication to his righteousness and truth and goodness and purity and justice and beauty and glory. Now, we have to note well that as believers, and I want you to listen carefully here, as believers, we already have holiness in Christ, yet at the same time we are called to strive for holiness. I want to repeat that again because I think it's very important. As believers, we already have, hallelujah, Holiness in Christ, yet at the same time we are called to strive for holiness. Where am I getting this in scripture? Well, look at Hebrews 10.10 with me. Hebrews 10.10 says, listen, that we have been made holy. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So Hebrews tells us there that we have already been made holy as believers. Praise God. We are already holy in God's sight because of our elder brother Jesus. We don't have to work to become holy and thus earn acceptance with God. No. Because of Jesus and his cross, we are saved and made holy already. But yet the flip side of that coin is found over in Hebrews 12.14, which incidentally was written by the same person who wrote Hebrews 10.10. Hebrews 12.14 says, Listen, make every effort to do what? To live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Ah. So there, we are to strive to exert ourselves to be holy. We are already holy, Hebrews 10.10. 10, and we are to strive for holiness, Hebrews 12.14. Or consider, we won't go there, but if you have your Bible, you can look at it. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2, which tells us again that we are already made holy in Christ. We are sanctified Yet we are called to be holy. Are you confused? Let me help you this way. When a person is born again, the Holy Spirit consecrates that person to God. The Holy Spirit cleanses the person from sin And makes the person fit for God's presence. He makes the believer holy. And the Holy Spirit also creates a desire in the born again person. For increasing holiness of life. So holiness is not a prior condition. That we must meet in order to be accepted by God. The Spirit makes us holy. But then following conversion, the believer will desire, the believer will desire increasing holiness of life. Peter says to us in the church, be holy because God is holy. And if you want, folks, a great picture, I I encourage you to do this this week. If you want a great picture of what holiness means, looks like in a person's life, a great place to go and prayerfully meditate is Leviticus 19, where holiness is not, I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do. It's not that sort of, don't smoke, don't watch movies, don't wear your hair too long sort of legalism. Rather, what Leviticus 19 does is it starts with the headline, the headline, Be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And then it unpacks what holiness in the congregation should look like. What does holiness of life look like in Leviticus 19? And here I'm helped tremendously by Christopher Wright in his book, The Mission of God's People. He notes Christopher Wright does, that holiness in Leviticus 19 has to do with respect within the family. And holiness in Leviticus 19 has to do with exclusive loyalty to Yahweh and the proper administration of sacrifices. And holiness in Leviticus 19 has to do with, listen, has to do with economic generosity and with employment rights and with social compassion to the disabled. Holiness in Leviticus 19 has to do with judicial integrity in the legal system and neighborly attitudes. Holiness in Leviticus 19 has to do with sexual integrity and the rejection of idolatrous practices and the proper treatment of ethnic minorities And commercial honesty in all trading transactions. The summary of what holiness looks like, I think, is well summarized by Tim Chester and Steve Timmis in their book, Everyday Church. Chester and Timmis say this, listen. Holiness was not just about what people did in the temple. It was about what they did in the market. This holiness knows no boundaries. It defines our friendships, marriages, work, leisure, finances, and politics. They say holiness is as much about what you do on Monday morning on the factory floor as it is about what you do on a Sunday morning in a church gathering. Holiness is as much about the kind of neighbor you are as it is about the kind of church member you are. Holiness is as much about who you are, listen, when you are holding a steering wheel. <laughs> it's a pregnant pause there. <laughs> when you are holding a steering wheel as it is about who you are when you are holding a Bible. Snowden Baptist Church. Be holy because God is holy. In the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God in your everyday life. Be set apart from the old passing age and its values and priorities. Live out your devotion to Jesus Christ. The Lord of the church, even as you are talking over the fence with a neighbor or raking the leaves privately. Well, let's travel more quickly now uh, because time's passing through the remainder of our passage. We'll try and go quicker. Verse 17, since you call on a father, again, note the family terms, okay? Verse 14, we are children. Verse 17, we have a father. A tender, loving father, since you call on a father who judges. Aha. A father who judges each man's work impartially. Now, a good father is tender. Amen, fathers? Is tender and loving. But a good father also makes judgment. Impartially, that is, not showing favoritism, concerning their children and their children's deeds and works. Since you call on a father who judges impartially, live your lives as strangers here, how? In reverence, fear. So as believers, we have the tender relationship, intimate relationship, Of children with a loving, wise father. But we don't want to offend him. We maintain a reverent fear. Before our loving father. That Peter talks about here. God is our father and friend. But God is also awesome. In the true sense of the word. And thus he deserves our reverent fear. At all times. And Peter says here live your lives as strangers here. He's located us in the story of Exodus. Israel eating that first Passover with their loins girded. were strangers in Egypt. Waiting for their release. The church here in the old passing age. We are strangers awaiting the full and final salvation of the last day. We never fully belong in the old passing age of sin, death, and the devil. Strangers. Now we pray for the peace of Montreal while we are here. Jeremiah 29. And we actively engage the world around us for the kingdom. But all the while, our hearts are in the new Jerusalem. Verse 18, for you know that it was not with, oh, this gets so good now. It, you know, not that it wasn't good before, but it gets so good here. For you know that it was not with perishable things, Peter loves this metaphor of perishable, imperishable. It was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed. Another purposeful Exodus word. To redeem is to pay a ransom. For the release of a slave or a captive of war. God as redeemer is an exodus thing. He redeemed, he bought out, he liberated captives from the clutches of Egypt. Peter says here that the church has been redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to, your, to you from your forefathers. Redeemed from that old pagan way of life. Before we were in Christ. And how were we redeemed, Peter? Verse 19. With the precious blood of Christ. Now notice. A lamb. Hmm. Without blemish or defect. Now again, friends, in the context... We have to learn to read the Bible this way. Every time we read the New Testament, we read it in terms of the whole Bible. Otherwise, we'll miss tons of stuff. Again, in the context, Peter has already located us in the Exodus story. What's he referring to here? He's referring to the Passover lamb and drawing a connection between the blood of Christ, the spotless lamb, and the lamb of Passover. The Lamb of Passover, according to Exodus 12.5, was to be without defect. That is, without sores, without physical blemishes. Jesus, our Lamb, was without blemish or defect in terms of his moral purity. Amen? His sinlessness. Peter says here that it is the blood, the blood, the blood of the unblemished lamb that has redeemed us. It's not the prayer we pray, per se, that redeems us. It's the blood that has redeemed us. Blood signifies what? It signifies a life laid down. The lifeblood of Jesus was poured out at Calvary to redeem sinners. To buy sinners out of their slavery to the new Pharaoh. The devil. To free sinners from bondage to sin. Christ himself is the ransom paid for many to be free. Mark 10.45. Christ is our Passover lamb. Slain with his blood that redeems us. Hallelujah. Verse 20. He... Jesus the Redeemer, he, Jesus the Redeemer who we've just talked about, he was chosen before the creation of the world. <laughs> wow. The lamb slain, friends, we have to understand what Peter's saying here. The lamb slain was chosen before the creation of the world. What does this mean? What it means is that God's redemptive plan in Jesus Christ was already there in the eternal counsel of God before he formed the world. In other words, the cross was no plan B because plan A of a sin-free world didn't quite work out. No. The redeeming Lamb says Peter here in this passage. The redeeming lamb was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times. Now notice that very carefully. In these last times. Now the, Peter here, he's writing in 63 AD and says these last times. <laughs> these last times, as Peter writes, that, that we are already in. Interesting. So Peter writes this in 63 AD, and the last times, the end times, were already underway. When did the end times or last times start? According to the perspective of the New Testament, the last times, the end times started at the first coming of Jesus Christ. We have been in the last times for over 2,000 years now, according to the perspective of the New Testament. Amazing. Amazing. Jesus was revealed in these last times for your sake. Verse 21, through him you believe in God, through him you believe in God, that's how belief comes, through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead, I know it's not Easter, but hallelujah, raised him from the dead means we will be raised from the dead one day. Our physical bodies, if we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Raised him from the dead and glorified him. Double hallelujah. And so your faith and hope, 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 future expectation, are in God. In God. Don't put your trust in princes like Donald Trump. <laughs> Your faith and hope are in God. God will still be on his throne on November 8th. That's not going to change. Verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves, that is, looking at the Greek, now that you have set yourselves apart or consecrated yourselves to God... By obeying the truth, or by obeying the gospel, so that you have a sincere love for your, family term, brothers and sisters, we could put in here. So verse 14, we're children. Verse 17, we have a father. Verse 22, we have siblings, whom we sincerely love in the church. Brothers and sisters, Peter says, now listen to what he says here, folks. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Listen to what he says here. Peter says, love one another deeply from the heart. Now watch this, church folk. What does Peter command here in his authority as a chosen apostle of Jesus? Does he command this way? Uh, tolerates each other somewhat, or, or does he say, uh, accept one another as best you can? Now the command we need to set our eyes on. That the command is rather forceful here, church. What the what the apostle is calling for here is a kind of earnest, heartfelt, unremitting love amongst the people of the new Israel, the church. The new community of God called out of darkness into his marvelous light, the born-again people of Jesus Christ, blood-bought people, this colony of God on earth called the church, we are to act as a showcase of King Jesus to the world. I remember walking into Tim Horton's, Months ago, and they had a coffee cake under glass in a showcase. I thought, church. The church is to be in a a showcase to the world of the love and power and grace of Jesus Christ. We are to be characterized by deep, listen, fervent, intense, unartificial love for one another. I, Howard Marshall, who taught New Testament at the University of Aberdeen for years, is very challenging on this point. Listen to what he says. He says, love one another deeply from the heart. And then he comments on it. He says, think of a man who sits on the opposite side of the church from you, and to whom you rarely speak. Think of the woman in the choir with the cacophonous voice who ought to have retired voluntarily years ago. (laughs) Think of that teenager with a ghastly hairstyle. Marshall is British, so he uses words like ghastly. Right? Think of the teenager with a ghastly hairstyle who shows an adolescent disdain for an old square like you. Do you love them (laughs) deeply from the heart? And then Marshall says, and I underline this this week, if not, what excuse can you offer for going against this plain, straightforward command? What excuse can I offer? Now, friends, the word sometimes gets all up in our grill, doesn't it? Love that person who annoys you deeply. And from the heart. If you don't have it in you, ask the Spirit of God to light a match inside of you. Ask Him to help you genuinely to love those who get under your skin. Why? For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of our mission as the church to the world. Verse 23, for or because, notice the connection, because you've been born again. (laughs) That's the reason, believer, why this love in verse 22 happens, because we've been born again. How were we born again, Peter? He says, not of perishable seed, and here the reference is decidedly sexual, perishable seed is male sperm, that is necessary for human biological birth. Peter says we're not born again that way. Rather, we are born again of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. The word of God, folks, the Bible, the Bible preached is the means by which people are born again. Being breathed out by God as it is, the word of God goes forth with the power of his spirit, to quote Edmund Clowney. So why am I adamant as a pastor that we focus on the text of scripture in preaching and not on my own personal anecdotes and stories? Because I believe in the power of God working by his authoritative living word today to work and to save. It's not my story. It's not my clever storytelling that will bring new life to a person. It's the word of God preached. I hope you're with me this morning. In verses 24 and 25, we're going to wrap this up. Peter takes us to Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. As he contrasts now the endurance of God's word compared to the fleetingness of human life. For all men are like grass. Women as well. (laughs) And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Now, when an apostle quotes from a certain chapter of the Old Testament, normally they want us to think of the whole chapter, not just the quote. Isaiah 40 is a chapter that was meant to bring great comfort to Israel as they were exiled over in Babylon. And in quoting from Isaiah 40 here, Peter no doubt wanted his, his readers to think of the whole Chapter. His readers were living as strangers and exiles, experiencing as they were persecution for their commitment to Jesus. Peter wants to give hope and comfort to them, to us. As he quotes from Isaiah 40, Comfort, comfort my people. Comfort, comfort Snowden Baptist Church. God's word endures forever. Does the world look bleak to you right now? Are you being persecuted for your faith as a stranger in this world? Peter reminds us here that the stupendous promises that God has given us concerning our future hope will come to pass. He is God. Well, finally, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2. Now, these are great church growth verses, but not church growth in terms of numbers, but in terms of spiritual growth. What will destroy the deep love of brothers and sisters that Peter has just called for in verse 22? What will ruin such love? The things that Peter talks about now. He says, therefore, listen to the language, rid yourselves, church. (laughs) New community of God on mission in the world, rid yourselves of all malice. And all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. God says to us, rid yourselves of these things, church. Take pains. Don't look at anybody else right now. Look at yourself. Take pains. Make effort at fumigating the church of all of these things. You shall not do as the world does around you. God had said to Israel. God says to his church, to his missional people in 2016. You are to be holy. You are to look different than the world for the sake of my world. Malice is a general term for ill will toward a brother or a sister in the church. Do you have that right now? Rid yourselves of it under the power of the spirit. Deceit. Deceit is a term for dishonesty, for willfully misleading others, telling lies. Hypocrisy is when your professed belief does not match your conduct. Envy is when you want what another has and may even wish for that other's downfall slander is when you speak ill of other people or disparage them when you spread lies about other people all of this friends tear we need to understand this this morning tears a hole in the fabric of the church it is anti-love anti-christ anti-mission So, Peter, what is the antidote to these vices that we are to get rid of? Notice that in verse 2, Peter doesn't just give us a list now of opposites of malice, envy, slander, and the like. He doesn't do that. Instead, he he commends and commands a craving, notice, a craving as the counter to the vices of verse 1. He says, like newborn babies, listen, like newborn babies, you've been born again, crave, Pure spiritual milk. Wow. Crave like a baby, parents say amen, like a baby who's hungry at feeding time. Right? It's my best baby. (laughs) Crave like a baby hungry at feeding time, crying in desperation and distress because milk just has to be on its lips. Crave unadulterated, undiluted spiritual milk. That is, crave Bible. Get hooked on the word. That's what Peter's telling us to do here. Become dependent on the word like a baby at feeding time who just has to have its milk. Why crave the word of God? Because it's in the word of God that you meet the God of the word. It's the word of God that births believers, according to verse 23. And it's the word of God that causes us. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2 again. It's the word that causes us to grow up. We all need to grow up a little. To grow up, Peter says, in our salvation. Regular, constant exposure to the word causes us to grow up in the Lord of the word. And in verse 3, our final verse, Peter talks about, listen, tasting the Lord. Notice, tasting the Lord and his goodness, which he's getting from Psalm 34. We taste with our spiritual taste buds the Lord and his goodness as we expose ourselves to the Lord's revealed word. And once we taste in this way, we'll get the craving. Now, I love the taste of low, slow barbecue so much that I invested in a smoker so I can go and smoke a pork shoulder for 18 hours and then worship God for the pleasure I take in the final product. It is a, Honestly, it is a worshipful experience for me. <laughs> I developed a taste for good cue. and so it's worth the long process just so I can have the taste again. But of course, folks... I'm not here to talk about barbecue. Barbecue pales in comparison to the taste of God himself that comes in our regular exposure to his word. The taste of God becomes addictive in the best sense of the word. Clowney says this, what we taste in scripture is not simply the variety and power of the language. What we taste is the Lord. And so I ask you, Do you have a taste for the Lord in his word? Do you crave the pure spiritual milk of the word? I'm going to pray for this church that all of us would get the craving in a fresh way. Well, time is gone again today. to, To summarize here, this morning Peter located us, didn't he? He gave us our bearings in the story of Israel and the Exodus. The church is the new Israel how we have to understand ourselves. And so we have to know Israel's story. The church is the new Israel. Ancient Israel was redeemed by a mighty hand out of Egypt. God passed over them by the blood of the Passover lamb. And shortly after they were released from their bondage and began their journey through the wilderness toward Canaan, they first stopped at Sinai to receive the instruction, be holy. The church has been redeemed by a mighty hand out of slavery to sin, death, and the devil. God has passed over us in mercy because of the blood of the unblemished lamb, Jesus. And now we are somewhere, aren't we? We are somewhere between Egypt and Canaan. Somewhere on our journey now to the final rest, and in this time we are called to be holy. We are to show ourselves to the world as the new humanity, different because of Jesus, loving one another genuinely and deeply, craving the pure spiritual milk of the word, walking in reverent fear of our tender, loving Father, and setting our hope fully on the coming day Of the Lord by the power that He supplies. May each of us be doers of this word this week in our context. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for another long section of your word. In future weeks, we're going to slow down and take smaller bites, but we thank you for this longer section of your word that. is just so glorious and teaches us and helps us and encourages us and challenges us. May the spirit of of God go with us through our weeks, whatever we're facing this week. And may you remind us of the things that we've looked at this morning. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all this week. Amen.